I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Welcome again to another edition of I-94 here on WLPN Chicago. This is Lumpen Radio. As always, my name is Mr. Jamie Trecker. And as always, I'm joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Good morning. And Mr. Michael Sack. Hey, Jamie. We have a great show today, and we're going to get to that in one second. But a little piece of business before we do, I did want to make mention of the fact that we have a new volume out that features some of I-94's own presenters. Echoes of a Natural World has been released by our friend Mike Daly from First to Knock Press. In there, you can find stuff by somebody named Jeremy Kitchen and friend of the show, James Law. That's coming out this week. Echoes of a Natural World. You can get that online or at your favorite bookstore. And we here at I-94 are really thrilled. So congratulations, Jeremy. Thank you. And it is a cold and rainy Chicago day here. That means it's basically a July day in Glasgow. So it's fitting that we are joined today from England by Lucy Britch. She is the author of the new book out now from Riverhead called Sad Janet. It is a novel. Lucy, thanks so much for taking time to us talking to us today. No worries. Great, great to be here. Lucy, <laughs> yeah, no, it's really wonderful to have you on here. I, and again, you know, just to start things off, uh, I want to say, you know, I, I think I said this, you know, while we were talking kind of off camera, so to speak. Uh, I rarely say this on the show, but this was a book I really enjoyed. We got the book in. Um, I think Jeremy dropped it off to me and I actually read it overnight uh, on the first night I got it. I read it pretty quickly. Too. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, it's, it's very rare that we all love the books. So. Yeah, it's very rare. We're usually very <gasps> oh, unhappy you. about books. Well, it's so. also a, a laugh out loud book, <laughs> which great. is pretty rare. Yeah, it is. So, Lucy, I just kind of wanted to start, you know, the... The book itself, I felt the title in a weird way is a bit of a misnomer. I know that the character Janet um, kind of constantly calls herself sad, but I never actually thought she was sad. You know, I, mean, I think you may think of her as possibly depressed. I mean, she does some things that are, I think, you know, somewhat or bad, sad or, or bad, bad, you know, yeah. qu- questionable to her own, you know, sanity or safety. But I thought it was really interesting. Most of the novel to me seems to be an exploration of somebody that is really resisting um, fitting in with other people's perceptions of how they should act. That's uh, her was, family, that's her boyfriend. What I was say like an outsider. Yeah, sure. and and I think it's a really interesting and and very funny examination of this. Could you talk a little bit about why? I guess you chose this subject in the first place. And what about the character of Janet appealed to you so much that you gave her this voice? Um, well, I'm personally somebody that doesn't really like to conform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like those sort of people myself. So, um, But yeah, the book actually came about because I suppose I had a few bad Christmases when I just didn't feel very happy. And I thought, you know, if there was a pill I could take that would make me happy and sort of fit in more and conform with what was going on around me, then I would probably definitely take it. <laughs> That's that's interesting. Did you? I was going to ask you if you'd had some problems with Christmas. I think some of us here on the show kind of have some mixed feelings about Christmas. <laughs> I, I have no feelings you, about uh, it. M- Michael and I, <laughs> tend, uh, we don't necessarily celebrate Christmas because it's not in our religion. But I, I happen to love the right. tree and the lights. Um, yeah. But I, and Jeremy, you have some mixed feelings about it. I, as well. I, Christmas to me is it's I don't know. It's like a scam to me. It's just like a time yeah. you, you're forced to hang out with your family when you might not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you didn't have debt yeah. before, you can have debt after. Yeah, and it's you know it's just yeah. like a big. Uh, first of all, I'm not religious, and uh, I, I could care less about the birth of Jesus. And then, second <laughs> of all, like 
you know, it's just, it's a time of mass consumerism and that's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, think uh, that, I think that's what I'm really against really. I think I, I want to love Christmas obviously because it's like, it makes you feel like a child again, but I think I've just sort of fallen out of love with it a bit as an adult, obviously. I well, think it's always sucked though. I mean, for me, I never liked Christmas. I don't know. It was always weird hearing yeah. about kids like being traumatized by finding out that Santa there, I mean. wasn't real. <laughs> yeah, when you know, I, like, I never got that like how messed up kids were when they found out Santa wasn't real. Well, I'm the youngest of eight. I'm the youngest of eight. I found out like everything way too young. So yeah, that explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, it's really interesting, Lucy, because Christmas, especially in England is, is such a a major holiday. I mean, they make a Mm. huge deal out of it. You know, even Dr. Who has a Christmas special. I mean, is it really that different from here? It's pretty massive here. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I would say in some ways it's, it's more oppressive in England. I think there's, there's things, there's been things starting in the shops already here. Really? I've I've noticed already. (laughs) Just small little things like, you know, like chocolates and cakes and things just appearing gradually. It, it's September. Well, we're taping yeah, this on already. September 9th. So, yeah. I hate to sound like a, an idiot, but I didn't know they, they did Halloween over there, too. That's more that, recent. That's in the book. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. more recent, though. That's more recent. You know, but this is a really interesting thing. Lucy, how, is some of what Janet does based on your own experience outside of the fact that, you know, you had some bad Christmases and don't didn't really want to experience that? Um, well, I worked at a dog shelter when I left college, so, so yeah, she's sort of like a heightened version of me, I suppose. She's not me, but she is sort of part of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cleaning up dog poop. Yeah, lots <laughs> it's of, great. Lots of, uh, it's pretty depressing. <laughs> no, I was, I was joking because I was talking to Mike on the way here, and I, it, it's funny because I could totally relate to Janet it, it, when I was... Same. Yeah, um, I, t- I could as well, yeah. You know, fart jokes, you know, talking about poop all the time, you know, <laughs> eating candy. Um, we, yeah. we were joking beforehand, but, like, as a, you know, a 50-year-old male, I could very much relate with her. So it, with the outsider thing, the Christmas thing, and then just a lot of her observations. One of my favorites, it's very early in the book when she's observing something on television, and it was a... a a reality star that had had a sex tape and was throwing a birthday party for her child yeah. that she paid for with her <laughs> royalties from the sex tape. And I was just, I, I think there's a lot of satire of culture and also you know, the hold that Big Pharma has over us, you know, that this, yeah. I can promise you happiness with just this magical pill. Yeah. And I, I actually want to go there for a second, Lucy, because I thought that was a brilliant satirical move. Um, a pill to make you happy at, at Christmas. You know, that really kind of put into relief a lot of the themes you had in the book um, because most of the book is really about Janet, in a sense, being Janet. But the plot of the yeah. book, in a sense, is that, you know, there's tremendous pressure on her from her family, from her coworkers, to take a pill that is somehow going to make her a better version of who she already is. And yeah. I think it's kind of obvious that Janet doesn't think there's much wrong with her. You know what I mean? She, yeah. she thinks she's fine. She yeah. you know, may be uncomfortable with some of the actions she's taken, but she certainly doesn't think that she needs all this pressure from outside to be different. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that because I think we've seen that, especially in America. Um, had I not known you were, were from England, I would have actually thought this was an American book because... We're deluged with pharmaceutical advertisements here. You know, I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and why you kind of pinned your, your satire on that. 
it's not quite as bad here in England, but it's still you're still aware of it everywhere. Obviously, this like this feeling that you need to be a better version of yourself, but be it happier or thinner or you know, you can't really just be be who you are, especially when it's just like things like sadness and depression. There's such so much pressure all the time, and this these sort of miracle fixes, be it pharmaceuticals or anything else, you know, diets or whatever. There's a there's a point at when there's an advertisement from uh, the uh, company that makes it Med for Life, and and the closing line in the advertisement is "You deserve Christmas," <laughs> and then you say it's basically yeah. basically a Viagra ad. Sorry, you don't say it. Janet does, and uh, we can help you get it up for Santa. And even though you know that's a very humorous uh, aside, I think you know that's kind of what they're aiming for. It's just like you know. Mm here is this world that you can have at your fingertips. And like, to mm. me, Janet seemed like she was pretty okay. Just being herself. Yeah. yeah. That's what I think. I think Christmas is, Christmas is this huge, happy, big, joyous thing. And it's like, come, come join us. You know, why wouldn't you want this? And it's, you know, I think Janet feels like, well, I don't really want it because you're forcing it on me and I don't really feel it. So why should I come with you? <laughs> I think it's more like that, like this sort of, sort of almost like an alien thing like they want to you know take possess you but but one of the things i liked about the book is that it, it wasn't just one note of of janet rebelling i mean the book is hilarious throughout it, that was pretty impressive for it to be to have funny lines on just about every page for 270 <laughs> some pages but also like she she struggles with being a pain in the AWS to everybody around her. She's aware of it. She's not totally oblivious and she's not blindly mm. against it. You know, she she's aware of all all the 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 smoke and mirrors, the gimmicks, like the BS of it all, but still she's thinks, Man, maybe I should take it. Maybe I should be this better version of myself that doesn't it's, exist. I think I think she's just tired of it. It's sort yeah. of, it feels like a struggle all the time obviously because she's constantly forced with these people telling her she should be some other way. Right. So I suppose she's just tired of it and wants wants to, you know wants to be, it to be over them you know them going at her all the time. And of course she does sign up for the trial. Uh, and I don't want to give you know spoilers away to the book but she she does sign up and participate in in this drug trial and starts taking this this happy Santa pill. Um and and she does it kind of reluctantly, you know. Um, what was interesting to me was, and I think there's a, there's some really subtle touches you have in the book, was how the attitude of the people around her changes toward her once she starts taking this pill and, and is in this trial. Her mother acts differently toward her. Um, the people at work act differently toward her. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about this because that was a kind of a dystopian moment in the book actually for me you know what i mean this this sense that people were going to talk to somebody differently because they're heavily medicated you know what i mean um and and i i think that the what you what you're trying to get across is you know a, a lot of the people on the outside thought they were doing it with the best intentions uh because they they see it as janet finally getting help for herself but the, that's not mm. the reality of it. The reality of it is, is that she feels pressured into doing something by, by her peers. And then once she does this, their attitude toward her, which has been negative, changes. Mm. I think they're just, they think, oh, finally, she's caught up with the rest of us. She's doing what she's told. She's conforming. Sort of one less thing for us to worry about now. She's finally doing what we all have to do. 
I think that's what it is, really. I, I mentioned earlier how Janet reminded me of myself in some ways when I was younger, and there was a, a, a scene where she's watching uh, Deb's kids, Deb being her boss at the dog shelter, and she, uh, she uses that opportunity to snoop around her house and um, she, she, she mentions that I've never found anything interesting, not even a vibrator. That's how joyless we all are. We don't even think we deserve even basic pleasures. I do know she sleeps with a baseball bat by her bed, though, so maybe she hasn't murdered her husband yet. Um, I also sleep with a baseball bat by my bed. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, I've, I've been known to do things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, we, you know, Chicago, so can be a rough play. It's not as bad as the oh, media yeah. portrays it, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, I had to mention that because I, I do have a, a... Well, you live in a bad <laughs> area, Jeremy. Yeah, I, I live in a little bit of a tough area. That's rough. Yeah. Oh, dear. When, and when you came here, you lived in a... Well, I had one a, of the rougher parts. I had a gun back then, but I have since got rid of it. You since got rid of your firearms. <laughs> firearms are not allowed in England, so... No. <laughs> Speaking We're not of, allowed, though. No. And even the police don't carry firearms, really. I mean, there are some, but the no, police, the don't. police don't. You have to, like, check them out. Don't yeah, you, you do. Yeah. Yeah. They have gun libraries? They do have gun libraries. It's like a tool library over here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's something we should think about for America. You can Genius. Check out, the, check out guns. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, we're speaking with the author, Lucy Britt. She's the author of the new novel, Sad Janet. It's out from Riverhead. In fact, we should hear a little bit from this book. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hear a selection from the eighth chapter of the book, and then we're going to be right back with Lucy. And as always, I want to thank our reader, Shanna Van Volt, for reading our stuff for us. This week, music is, of course, courtesy of the International Anthem Recording Company. Music today provided by Carlos Nino and Miguel Atwood Ferguson from Chicago Waves, actually recorded right here at Co-Prosperity Sphere. We'll be right back after this short break. It was the pill for shyness that cemented my feelings that pills were garbage, that we were one step away from a pill that would make you straight when all most of us wanted was to be allowed to be crooked, broken, flawed. That shyness pill broke me, enraged me, it might be great, the boyfriend had said, like he too saw my shyness as a disease, something that needed curing, like he was only with me because he hoped one day they'd find a cure, some proof that I wasn't really ugly, just shy and sad. We loved the Smiths, and I remember how, when their song about shyness being nice came on, I was blinded by what I thought was love. I didn't even hear the part about how it can stop you. I didn't care if it stopped me now that I had this boy in my arms, because I was stupid. He probably remembers it differently. That's the problem with love, or what you think is love. If I love myself more, maybe things would be different. What if someone can't get out of bed because they're so shy, he said. What if it's not because they're shy, I said. What if they've just seen how pointless life is and can't be bothered anymore? I can't talk to you when you're like this, Janet, he said, still talking. He meant when I'm bad, Janet. The Janet who swears at other people's children. The Janet who won't answer the phone in case it's anyone's mother. The Janet who chooses to work in the woods with dogs rather than have more conversations about what's wrong with her and how it needs fixing. I never used to say, there's a pill for that, when he couldn't get it up. Debs is the only one who leaves me alone, so naturally I sniff around her all the time, wanting her to notice me. Everyone is taking all the pills, Janet, they tell me, like that's ever worked on me. I'm still wearing clothes from five years ago. If they really want me to take the pills, they should just say, no one's taking them. It's all super nerdy. Or, it's French. Or, it'll kill you. 
Debs is always saying she'd be dead in a ditch if she didn't have her pills, and I believe her. She has her kids to keep alive now as well as herself, and that's not easy. I get it. Before she was a mom, maybe she could have afforded to be selfish, to see what would happen if she stopped taking them. Now she knows she has to take them forever. She has to think of the children. So she dutifully takes them every day. I'm sure she assumes that one day I'll join her, if I'm ever stupid enough to get knocked up, and we'll sit out on the porch in the evening, not talking about all the things we'd hope to do with our lives. I lie awake most nights now, thinking about everything that has ever happened to me. I can't switch it off, switch me off, but I want to. I've always been like this. It doesn't matter if I'm alone in bed or not. Stuff that happened today at work, last week, last year, five years ago, it's all just there at the front of my brain when it's supposed to be shelved away like I've stored it all wrong. Like my brain is one of those closets you never want to open because everything will fall out and crush you. My brain is all abandoned board games and broken lamps. Unworn sweaters you were too lazy to return. I worry that if I live long enough, this stuff will be too much and I'll be glad when I start forgetting. If I lie awake long enough, my mind always goes back to the boy I used to share this bed with, this life with. Some of those broken lamps were his fault. And we're back here on I-94. We've been speaking with the author, Lucy Britt. She is the author of Sad Janet. We just heard an excerpt from her book. Lucy, I kind of wanted to talk to you about the process of, of how you wrote this book. You know, some people, you know, kind of plot out a story from beginning to end. I got the feeling that, and, and this could just be me, that you did this in kind of different sections. You wrote little bits at each time and then kind of stitched it yeah. together. Could you talk that a little bit? How, that's, that's, sorry, that no. is how I write. I'm a bit, I'm a bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good. I'm not very good. My process is I don't have a pro process and okay. I feel quite inadequate a lot of the time. But uh, my brain doesn't really work like that. I just sort of have to write when I feel like it and write random bits and then I sort of almost fit them together. It's I'm very strange. And I've been writing this for uh, quite a few years. Okay. So it's like little things that pop into my head about this character. She's sort of been with me for a long time and then I've just only recently just got it together to make it make her a book. <laughs> I it's Jamie mentioned this short story collection that I'm in before we started. I write that way too. I, it's all over the place. And I also love in your acknowledgments you say, mm. to be honest, I wrote this book on my own. <laughs> and uh, towards the end, you had some editorial help, but I, I, I think that's amazing. And did you have a, a literary background in college, or did you just write this? No, not at all. Um, I've never taken a writing class in my life, so I'm just winging it completely, really. Um, I always did want to be a writer, but I didn't really ever think I could. I did um, English and culture at, at college, did and I've, I've always worked. I've worked in jobs that were like in publishing and libraries, but I've never, oh. I've never had a never had a writing class or anything. I'm a librarian here in Chicago, and All right. you must read a lot because this... librarians are the best. I think. Oh, thank you. It's true. Yeah. You must read a lot then, because you know I've always been of the ilk that believes that if you read a lot, then you should write. Yeah. And that you can't. Definitely. This is in my opinion, and that you know you can't really learn how to write in college. And I, I'm a big reader too, and that's where I learned how to yeah. write. Just. Yeah, reading, I, reading. I, I I do. I think it's the, I think it's the main way, really. I, I'm self-taught. You know, if, if you're gonna, you know, the only way to really know how to write a book is to read all the books, I think, and well, then just have a go. I think that's it, really. I don't think you can teach the humor, though. Either. One of the things that makes me nervous about this book is that people aren't gonna aren't gonna be able to find it and and laugh with it because so many people don't read it anymore. They look to Netflix for comedy or yeah. you know mm. stand ups. Did you were you were you ever in the stand up circuit? 
or anything like that? No, not no. I'm, I'm definitely too shy for that. But um, <laughs> okay. I do. I, I love. I love comedy as much as I love books. It's like my my, my main other thing. So. Well, you have a very funny Twitter feed, by the way, as well that I've seen. Oh, thank you. Uh, that is is quite witty. Well, when I can be bothered to tweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I you know one of the things kind of getting back to to the process. Um, I, and you said you wrote this over several years. You know, you, you do thank George Saunders, who, if listeners don't know who George Saunders is, he wrote a very well-received, very absurd short story collection called uh, Civil War Land and Bad Decline, which I, I highly it's recommend. Brilliant. It's so brilliant. Yeah, it's a, great, it's a great book. And, you know, his sense of humor, I, I actually, you know, off camera, I asked you if we were, if you'd gone to Syracuse where George teaches, because um, I, I just, I thought that, oh my gosh, you know, this woman must have, you know, been been reading George, and he must have been you know helping her along. And so it's it's so amazing to hear that you know, no, oh George is just a friend. He's you know helped me out, and no, didn't take any writing courses at all. That's I think that's really inspirational, and I think you should be really proud mm. of that. Oh, thank you. I literally read uh, read those short stories years ago, and I thought this is someone who writes the things I want to sort of write. And I didn't realize he was such a big deal. And I just dropped him a message and we've been friends ever since really. So he's just brilliant. <laughs> he's just great. Lucy, do you watch Peep Show? The British? Uh, yeah, of course. That's, that's my favorite show of all time. And I, tr oh. I try and sell it to everyone. And some of the humor in here was, uh, it reminded me of that. We, uh, oh, American yes, humor is brilliant. not as subtle and dark as British humor. A lot of it's just like, in your face and not really all that funny but i'm more on the <laughs> the dark absurd side and yeah, yeah yeah i love i love dark dark comedy is my thing yeah and i was really surprised you know I'm, i remember when this book came out it kind of uh was released around the beginning of the, the pandemic lockdown um and i know the new york times you know called it one of the, the beach books of the year uh which which, <laughs> which i thought was hilarious because i was like if anybody's taking this to the beach you know oh boy um it was like when i took william volman's uh the, the queen's diaries or whatever to the beach you know 800 pages of uh, pederasty um I, I one of the things i did want to ask you was because this book did come out when we had a, a major lockdown um did this affect how you were able to kind of get behind the book and promote it and talk about it? I know that a number of books that were released kind of in a sense got a little lost, you know, you, you were very lucky. You had a lot of really good reviews and a lot of really good content. And I remember reading about it and then, you know, sometimes these books are, are kind of hard to find because booksellers apparently are having trouble getting them from the printers, you know, because of this stuff. Yeah. Did that affect your rollout at all? Um, not really. We just sort of had to go with it and do the best we could. I, I had some friends whose books were sort of pushed back a bit, but we just went with it and we've just been modeling along ever since, really. And, and um, what was the stuff that, that Riverhead, you know, put behind it? Because, I mean, you're a first time, this is basically your first time book, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're a, you're a debutante. Book. So yeah. what what did you do to, to promote the stuff? Um, we just did what we did, what we always do, <laughs> the, the usual you know, trying to get reviews and essays and the usual, the usual ways, really. And well, it's I, been harder, obviously. It's going to be a staff pick for the Chicago Public Library this month. So if, the cover's also oh, thank you. a oh, yeah. huge <laughs> selling point. Yeah, the covers. This the covers sad greyhound is yeah just so pitiful. <laughs> Mike, and I, Mike and I are both, uh, we both have two. I have two rescue pit bulls, and Mike has a, a pit bull and a chihuahua mutt. So oh, we have lots okay. of rescues at our 
two homes. So, and Jamie has two oh, rescue good. cats. I do have two rescue cats. Yes, I'm. I'm not. Oh, boo. Well, no, not boo. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, not really. I've I've had cats as well. It's fine. I like all animals. Yeah, you know, the, I I find actually that cats are a lot like dogs if you spend a lot of time with them. I mean, one of our yeah, cats. No, we walk on a leash and he goes out for a little walks <laughs> and is very friendly. You know what I mean? Um, Have you seen that woman in Little Village? Oh, you're, so you're that, man, you're that man with the cat on the leash. I am that man with the cat on the leash. Yes, I am. There's a woman at, uh, over in Little Village. Fair enough. There's a woman with a ferret here. That's quite cool. <laughs> oh, we've got one on a, we've got a woman with a pig here too. And a goat. And a bear, actually. We've got the what? Uh, yes, uh, Beth, who lives in Pilsen, used to walk around a trained circus bear in our streets. I so. did a side job with a guy the other day who has 60 cats at his house. That's too Six many. Zero. That's too many. Not, not on leads, though, I hope. No, I, no I also want to mention people that have ferrets are weird. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, ferrets are great. They're so stinky. I don't know. There's like a They are stinky. They have like a hippie. And they go up your trouser leg. They run up your trouser leg if they have the chance. They're very strange. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> ferrets have like a hippie stereotype here. So it's like if you see a filthy hippie with dread, like white guy with dreadlocks, they often have a ferret hidden among them somewhere. Yeah, those guys are everywhere. <laughs> they are everywhere. Um, before we go to break, uh, I did want to talk a little bit about the use of the animals actually in the book because the dogs in a lot of ways are oh, totally, yeah. sometimes more sympathetic than most of the people. Um, yeah. And you're obviously a big animal lover. You said you worked at a, at a dog yeah. shelter. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because like you, I, I, I do feel that, you know, the, the animals in the book seem to be in a way a lot more responsible than, than some of the other people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like me, Janet prefers animals maybe than humans. They're easier to be around. They don't really expect anything from you, do you? You can, you can just sort of be yourself. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a line in a, where one of Deb's, exes comes to visit and, and you said uh, janet says her girlfriend has great legs i wonder if the dogs notice or care <laughs> <laughs> i don't see real life human lady legs very often i, I just I, I thought that was a great line there's there's so much humor and i i was going to add uh people are talking about this being a beach book and so being a, a reference librarian people ask for funny books all the time and it's pretty limited because there's like there's books that are funny for smart people, and then there's just like funny books, you know. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. this would like. I don't know, isn't enough. I think so many books would be better if they're funny, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's hard to recommend them. Of course, you know, there's like Confederacy of Dunces, and yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Probably one of the funniest books I've ever read. But you know what? I'm I'm gonna yeah. say, and this is not always going bold. It's it's not a lie. <laughs> this is. Up there with Confederacy Dunces, one of the funniest wow, books I've ever Lord, read. That's amazing. That's I'll take that. Thank you. One of the funniest books <laughs> I've ever read. On my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago reviewer says it was as good as Confederacy of Dunces. Well, no, and please, it, yes, yeah. I want that in writing, please. All right. It's very hard to make someone laugh out loud while they're reading it is, a yeah. novel. And it is. I was like cracking up the yeah. whole time, and uh, that's it, it. Made me really happy, and I was like, I have to recommend this book to people. It, I, you know, I had the same experience. I was. Really reading this my wife was asleep in bed and I was sitting up all night I kept waking her up giggling and you know I normally don't um get a book and kind of just read it all the way through I, I would say that the book is a is a, a fast clean smooth read which is in my book a, a very good thing um but I I too you know a mark of a good book to me is one that you get and you don't really want to put it down I mean I I think one of the things that um we really haven't mentioned about Janet is, 
you know, we've talked about how, you know, she she may or may not be depressed. She is an outsider, but she's a very engaging person. Yes. You actually do want to spend time with her. And her observations on the world around her um, tend to be very astute. And I think that's one of the selling points uh, of the book overall, because many of the observations that are made about the larger, the larger world around Janet show how it's the world around Janet that's absurd, not necessarily Janet herself. Yeah, it's like she's the way everybody else really wants to be, saying whatever right. they really think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's a lot to be said for nonconformity. You know, it's I conform. I mean, none of us none of us that do the show, I would say, are conformists, and it's it's pretty boring. Yeah. You, know, when, you know, when you walk the mainstream, especially now. I mean, it's just our culture. I is, think so. Our culture is just television and things like that it's just it's garbage yeah. you know i i don't, know how else I, to I don't it. understand it. yeah yeah that's why cats should be on leashes and walked yes um, <laughs> yeah. that'll be on your tombstone it'll be on my tombstone yeah old, <laughs> old man walks cat um we're talking with the author lucy britch she is the author of her new novel sad janet uh we got to go to a quick break here and remind people of the folks that help make this station possible as always you are listening to wlpnlp chicago 105.5 fm and this is i-94 we'll be right back after the break <laughs> And now, back to I-94 on Lumpin' Radio. My mom thinks the pills are acid. She thinks I'll see elves everywhere, and I will because there are elves everywhere. It's Christmas. I don't know how everything got so complicated, she says, popping in Xanax. When I was a girl, she says, never a good start. We were just grateful to have some time at home in a tangerine. Please, not the tangerine story, we groan. She used to put a tangerine in our stockings. One year I left mine in there the whole year and it turned to dust. I thought it was poetic. She thought it was disgusting. We were both right. When I still had a boyfriend and we still liked each other, he'd come see me at work. Debs didn't really like him just showing up because it distracted me from my job and also from my larger job of helping her smash the patriarchy. Mostly it reminded her that I wasn't as dead inside as she was, not yet anyway. But she said it was fine, cool beans, whatever, as long as he pitched in. So she gave him the crappy jobs she'd been putting off, like fixing leaky kennel roofs and walking the monster St. Bernard in boarding. He didn't mind. He liked to feel useful, and he wanted Debs to like him, because I told him that she maybe murdered her husband. One day, he showed up unannounced. I didn't even know he was there. I was too busy having my arm ripped off by a staffy. The poor girl had locked onto my arm, which is something animals do when they're really pissed, and there's no way they're ever letting go. It's huge fun for everyone involved. It was a shame. She was such a sweet little girl when she wasn't ripping people's arms off. This dog was doing nothing to change public opinion about its breed. Melissa saw it all happen, but she just stood there screaming. If we'd been in a cartoon, she would have been on a chair with a broom. I stayed calm, apart from trying to crowbar the dog off my boot while telling Melissa to shut up. This is why women should always wear Doc Martens. You never know when you're going to have to defeat the jaws of death or kick a man in the nuts. Eventually, Debs appeared, like she'd heard something vaguely, but was hoping we'd sort it out because people always need her to solve stuff, and what she really wanted was to let the dogs go and wash her hands of the whole thing. Like any good relationship, hers with the shelter was complicated, and a lot of it was wanting to run away or burn it all down. I think that's what love is, when you mostly stay. Debs took one look at us all, and then turned around and walked away. I'm wrong about the love thing, I thought. She's leaving us. But a few minutes later, she came back with a frozen steak, and the dog let my arm go immediately and went to the steak. Dogs are such cliches. They've seen all the cartoons, too. 
The whole time, my boyfriend just stood off in the background watching, taking bets, probably. It's not like I wanted him to save me or anything, but a high might have been nice. He did take me to the hospital. Melissa wanted to come along with us, and I almost let her because I wasn't sure I wanted to be alone with him, which was a problem since we lived together. But thankfully, I was in too much pain to think about it. My arm was fine, but our relationship wasn't. The body has remarkable healing capabilities, while the mind is one big gaping wound that you keep touching until it gets all gross and infected. On the way home, my boyfriend started going on about how I'd said I was just going to stay in this job until I figured out what I wanted to do, how I was supposed to be thinking about maybe going back to college to get my master's. He believed this because I'd lied and told him I was thinking about it, like you do in those hazy days of new love when you say anything to make yourself seem like someone else entirely. I said I wasn't thinking about much right now, really, and could we stop for burgers because I'd just had my arm almost ripped off and they'd given me some great painkillers that I knew I shouldn't have been given because I couldn't be trusted with things that made me feel like this, and he couldn't say no because of the whole almost dying thing. The whole time, I'm sure he was wishing I was someone else, but the joke's on him because so was I. Welcome back to another edition of I-94. My name is Mr. Jamie Trecker, and as always, I am joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Howdy. And Mr. Michael Sack. Hello again. And we have been talking to and listening to excerpts from Lucy Bridges' new novel, Sad Janet. It is out now from Riverhead Books. Lucy is joining us from England. Uh, and we just heard an excerpt from a, a later chapter in the book where our titular character is uh, actually taking a pill that is promised to make her happy on Christmas. I'm going to make another outrageous comparison. There's a scene uh, where Janet goes to pick up a dog from someone that has passed away and ends up getting hammered on vodka. And I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, there's a series of events that happen. And it, it, to me, it was very, it, uh, it read very Lucky Jim-esque. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, the classic Kingsley, Kingsley Amos, Amos, just because yeah. like, yeah he would just have these experiences where he just really couldn't help himself and it would end up. And that's also, and speaking of Lucky Jim is also hilarious. Yeah. Can you talk yeah, a little maybe. bit about that actually? Like how Janet seems to be kind of all id, you know what I mean? She, she does what she mm -hmm. wants to do. And I think that's a really interesting way to think of the character. Yeah. Um, I think she's just who she is really. She's quite in her head. So she's just sort of, she just sort of does what she wants in a way. Yeah. <laughs> She's sort of given up on the world. So she just sort of, you know, just is just doing what she wants. She's sort of, I think she feels like she sort of burned all her bridges now. So she's just sort of almost, almost sort of spiraling. <laughs> yeah. And, and her bridge burning isn't even really that bad. I, I, you know, and we haven't talked about her mother. Her mother is quite an uh, overbearing, difficult character. She, she's one of the characters in the book that's very unlikable extremely mm. yeah and most of the characters are pretty likable and i, I and I, I i also like her father who's just kind of like okay let's just get this over with <laughs> do i have to do anything yeah. no okay see ya yeah and that's like every dad i don't know yeah. yeah i mean i think there's, there's a really interesting commentary on on families here i mean did you come from a big extended family or or are you an only child or or did you know, no, I, I, a, a normal sized family, I'd say. I have uh, I have two siblings, so yeah. just a regular normal sized family. Yeah. But that's I think that's hard. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. Um, you know, I think well, I think all, fam all families are hard. I think. Yeah, we can't say what Philip Larkin said because I won't pass FCC muster. But uh, you know, you Jeremy yeah. comes from a very big family. I come from a very small family. Medium. You come from kind of a little medium, tiny family over I'm there. I'm the youngest like, of eight, so it, yeah, it's a it's a blended step 
siblings, but yeah, yeah. my oldest stepsister's 16 years older than me. That's that's why I got exposed to terrible things. At a very yeah. <laughs> like, let's show this eight-year-old the exorcist. Ah, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So, Did, are you the youngest of your family? Yeah, I'm the youngest. Yeah. yeah. Did you what? Did your family uh, encourage you in your writing and and grow up to to pursue this as a career? Um. Yeah, they definitely sort of encouraged me, but also wanted me to have a a, a serious job as well. <laughs> I think. I think. I think. I think they wanted to. They wanted me to think I could do it, but really thought I should really live in the real world. <laughs> uh, it's so funny I, think, you... I think they're a bit torn because they didn't want me to get my hopes up, but they didn't want to discourage me either. Oh, well, it's fine fun... life, isn't it? It's funny you said, well, my mother's a novelist as well. And, and when I wanted to be a writer, um, you know, she she told me that I had to learn a trade. You know what I mean? Mm. Like she I think she would have preferred that I was a plumber who wrote rather than you know a broke yeah, writer I think, a writer who plumbs. yeah definitely yeah i think yeah. that'd be a good co that's a good combination i reckon yeah. <laughs> you, you see all life there. I think you see all life then and get good stories i think that'd work yeah and, and she's from aberdeen she she was uh the daughter of um a tradesman herself so you know i think mm. that was part of it but i i think you that's that's kind of interesting because um I, I just i think it's amazing that you went to school and did stuff that had nothing to do with you know, writing at all. And you've mm -hmm. kind of steadily been able to make a name for yourself. I mean, you were nominated for a push cart. You've been well published elsewhere. And obviously, you know, Riverhead thought enough of you to, to take a chance in this book and it's, and it's been well reviewed. Um, so there is, you know, a lot of oomph behind you. Does that kind of surprise you? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, uh, I think it's, I don't know. It's taken me a long time to get here, but, um, it's, it is all, 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 the only thing I've ever really wanted to do, but I just, I didn't really ever believe in myself until quite recently. And I just thought, okay, well, I've got to do this now. So I'm doing oh, it. Oh <laughs> yeah, I hope you keep going. Yeah, keep hope going. Hope you're still yeah. working on stuff. Um, and one of the things that's interesting to me in the book, and it's another thing of Janet, and I don't know if it's a characteristic you share, but I, I, I liked how the ex-boyfriend is actually never named. The boyfriend. The boyfriend. He's just called the boyfriend. Uh, yeah. That to me was very, very funny. And it, it kind of summed up, you know, there's a line in the book where um, she she says, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but, but someone says, you know, um, I'm just trying to help people. And Janet says, all I see is another man telling a woman uh, that she needs to be fixed. And that was a, a, a vein that ran, you know, right through the book um, that I thought was very powerful and, and very, um, especially in this era of Me Too, you know what I mean? I, I thought mm -hmm. that that was something that was very, uh, very poignant. And I wondered if you could just speak to that a little bit, because I think you've really hit on something that's very timely. Well, it's also, there's like mm -hmm. a subtle feminism that runs through it, but it's not like what we get in a lot of American writers where it's just like thrown in your face. It's, yeah. just, it's just like her actions. I, I, Janet is a, a well, fem feminist. She's talking, I think the difference is, is that she talks about her experiences yes. and like she doesn't get, she doesn't start to theorize yes. and talk yeah. about intersectionality and whatever yeah um, I, I always say that i always say that it's like what it's just one person's story it's, i'm not talking for like everybody it's just this one woman's story yeah it's refreshing yeah no i mean it was it was really interesting because again i think we've seen other books come out this year that that are they're not as subtle you know what i mean and i think mm. there's a grace to the way that you tell the story and which is why it's really interesting to me that you said you kind of did this in a sort of scattered way and then kind of all put it together did the the plot of the book come to you first, or was this just something you started writing about Janet? This voice was with you. 
Um, no, the, the Christmas pill came first. Okay. I just had this thing. I just had this, I, I just knew that this was this, there was this idea there that I could make this into something. And I suppose I wanted to make it a reality because I think it, it it's probably coming in the future, this Christmas pill. But, and then I, and then Janet was there and, and I just took her on this journey. But like, yeah, just in bits, because that's just how my brain works. They, <laughs> I didn't really, I don't, I'm not really focused. I don't, well, when I was writing over the years, I didn't really ever sit down and give it time. It was just like uh, in the back of my mind all the time, like this, almost like a little fun project. And then only, only recently I thought, no, I've got, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to make it a reality. I, I enjoyed uh, Janet's group meetings with the pharma people too. I just want to mention those were pretty hilarious. Yeah. So for listeners, one of the requirements for Janet doing the trial, the clinical trial of this Christmas pill, she has to go to, uh, seven meetings, weekly meetings to, to check in with other people who are doing the trials. And there's there's a, a representative from the pharm- pharmaceutical company monitoring the meetings. And it's it's prime time for comedy scenes, little yeah. comedy sketches. I, I got to say, I mean, I think all of us here, and I, I'm not speaking for you, Lucy, but all of us here, we've all experienced the hell of group therapy meetings. And yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it, really, it really is one of the worst experiences uh, that I can think of in, in my particular life. I, I, I have to think this comes from, a, from some experience and a place of understanding because some of this was just so dead on. Yes, well, I'm. I don't know if I really want to speak too much about my own personal experiences, but um, I'm just. I'm not really very good at joining with anything. So for me, that is the most awkward possible thing, having to be in a room with people and talk with them about about things like this. So, yeah. and I think it is a great place for comedy, really, if, if you're awkward in a situation like that. Yeah, because she does, and, and your character Janet acts in ways that are both kind of surprisingly human, but also very inappropriate. Um, she has a relationship with one of the people in group, which is highly frowned upon, as I recall from my days in group. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I believe she doesn't even bother to learn his name, if I, if I recall uh, correctly. Eventually yeah. she does. Eventually she does. But, I mean, she does all kinds of things that are, are very subversive uh, in group, which is, which is pretty funny. Um, I, I, the, the one thing that I got out of it was, and, and this is just maybe my own cynicism, I've always felt that, that group therapy was more helpful to the people that were running the group than the people mm. actually in the group. You know what I mean? It was more, and I, I really liked how you basically made it like a marketing confab, you know, because I've, mm. I've always had a sly suspicion that, you know, behind a two-way mirror, there were people writing down ways that they could figure out new ways to prescribe us, which you imply very heavily in the book. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I think Janet thinks everyone's everyone's watching everyone all the time, and it's everything's just, you know, for some other evil evil plan. <laughs> it's not really for our best interest, is it? Anything, everything's to do with capitalism and consumerism, and I think I think that's what she thinks. Well, what I think as well, I suppose. I, I wanted to mention uh, one last uh, scene because it, it cracked me up too. But it, she's talking about uh, viewing "It's a Wonderful Life." <laughs> oh. You throw yourself, Janet said, I'd throw myself off a bridge too if I had those annoying kids. <laughs> and, and Mary's worst fate is she ends up a librarian. Everyone knows librarians are the best people. And I can vouch for that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for the props to the librarians <laughs> out there. Right. <laughs> thank you. They are, though. They're just the bad, good people. Lucy, we're running short on time here. And I, I do want to make sure we have some time. What, what do you have coming up next after this? What are you working on? Um, well, I've already finished uh, two other novels, so Dang. hopefully, 
Okay. Wow. <laughs> Not That's amazing. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm working on a, a fourth at the moment. Are so. they are they in works to be published? The the finished? Um, hope, hopefully. Yeah, I hope nothing definite set, but hopefully. Okay. If if if, if Janet does well enough, I suppose I don't know. I, <laughs> if anyone wants to ever read anything I've written again, I'm pretty I'm sure. Not, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I'm we're going to shout from the rooftops. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be one of Riverhead's books of the year, so I don't think that that will be. I mean, do you have a multi? Are you able to release more books with Riverhead? Are they interested in stuff? Um, I think that's something we're sorting out at the moment. Yeah, gotcha. so I don't really know. It's all up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good luck with that because I mean, this is a great uh, first novel and it's a great breakthrough. And thank you so much for you know spending part of your day with us here uh, in Chicago. No, it's really yeah, wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Lucy. This novel is very refreshing. We read a lot of stuff, and and every every author we have in the show, we read the books, and then we also you know we turn them down too. And when I I had read some reviews of this, and when I got the book, I was just like, this is awesome so uh, we're really stoked to have you on so i appreciate it oh yeah. thank you thank that you was so time. nice to hear thank you well we're Thanks, gonna guys. we always close give the author the last word so we're gonna hear a final excerpt from sad janet by lucy bridge again the book is out from riverhead you can find it anywhere books are vended here and we hope you do thank you so much for taking time to listen to us today on i-94 the next morning my phone wakes me up i figure it's deb's checking i wasn't murdered have you seen the news she says Put on the news, Janet. I do as I'm told. Richard Grossman is all over it. He'd been arrested. The details are confusing, but it seems someone has leaked internal data suggesting that his pill was actually a chemical blend of ingredients I've never heard of. Magnesium stearate, the host reads, microcrystalline cellulose, pre-gelatinized cornstarch, and sucrose. Wait, sucrose? Isn't that... Isn't that something, Alex? Says the host. The pill they called Santa's Little Helper was a placebo. There was no scientific study, no chemical cure for holiday-specific depression. The Christmas pill was a fraud. Are you watching this? Deb says, still on the line. I don't understand, I say. It was all a scam, Deb says. I'm falling again, but this time it feels like I've been pushed. The full story unfolds quickly in a wave of scoops, press releases, and breaking news. I sit in my dirty motel room glued to the TV, shaking with anger. After the leak is confirmed, the company has to admit the whole story, all the research, all of it was fabricated. It was all a scam, just like Deb said. There was never a Christmas pill. We were the only untapped market, so they tapped us with a sledgehammer. Once we were out cold, they figured we'd take anything they wanted us to. I flip the channel and there's Farmer Bro himself, my Farmer Bro, Grossman's local rep. The reporter has caught him outside his building looking disheveled and ashamed. We were just giving people what they wanted, he says, not looking for a minute like he believes it. People wanted to buy a happy Christmas, so we made that possible, he says. His name is Jason, according to the Chiron. I've never bothered to learn it, or maybe I've just chosen to forget it. For the first time in my life, I feel a solidarity with the talking heads. They're outraged, they say. People have been duped, they say. It isn't right, they say. And I just sit there watching and nodding furiously before I finally fall asleep. But it doesn't last long. Overnight, literally overnight, the narrative changes. The next morning, I wake up and turn on the TV. The first thing I see is Richard Grossman, somehow out of jail already, holding a press conference. The world needed something to bring people together, he says, and we did that. Does it really matter how? He looks around, waits for that to sink in. Don't you see, he says. It worked. People all over the country had a happy Christmas. They found the real Christmas spirit right there inside of themselves. It was all thanks to our pill. 
I wait for the talking heads to roll their eyes with me. I can keep waiting. They're lapping it up. Richard Grossman has done something amazing, Alex, hasn't he? Suddenly it's not a scam but a holiday miracle. He's basically saying he saved Christmas and the world is buying it. It's enough to make me vomit, which I do, a lot. I see a girl I recognize from my meeting giving an interview. She says she always suspected it was a placebo, but she doesn't mind. It helped her see what she was missing, and she already started taking Prozac. Yay! No one seems to feel cheated but me, and I didn't even take the damn pill. The next day, the tabloids run an exclusive tell-all from Dickie Boy. I don't even have to go outside to get it. The news is still covering it nonstop. He says he started out by trying to make the Christmas pill for real, for the love of his life, but it was just too hard. It wouldn't work, and he couldn't figure it out, so he made it all up for Vila. Turns out the only true part of his story was Vila Shirk. He goes on and on about Vila, about her depression and her listlessness and how sorry he was about her life, and I can just hear what people are thinking. What a caring man. He loved this girl so much he made her a pill, or, you know, maybe he couldn't, but he wanted to. All I see is a man speaking for a woman and telling her she needed to be fixed. I-94 is Lumpin' Radio's books and literature program, airing every Sunday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Central. This episode featured Lucy Britch, author of Sad Janet, out now from Riverhead. This episode originally aired on September 10th, 2020. I-94 is a Lumpin' Radio production, with readings by Shanna Van Volt, show intro and promo voiced by David Green, music by Laurie Johnson and Bill Bennett from the KPM Archive. For more information on I-94 and for past episodes, visit EYE94.org. For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpinradio.com.